Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. With me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 30th of May, 2022, and this is episode 257. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talked to author, teacher and historian Tom Strickland about his recent book, Following in the Footsteps of Heroes, which is a new guide to the battlefields of France and Belgium. Tom spoke to me from his home in Wiltshire. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Before we start, could you tell us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Uh, Good evening. Uh, Yes, so my name is Tom Strickland. I'm a history teacher day in, day out at a secondary comprehensive school down in Wiltshire. Um, I have a passion for military history and always have done. Um, at university, I was into Romans, did a lot of Roman military stuff up at Durham. Um, then I went off teaching um, and my head of history at the time when I was just a new teacher took me out on the school trip and I haven't looked back. That just the emotional rollercoaster of that first time um, has connected me to the First World War. And I'm currently studying a master's with the Wolverhampton, yeah, Gary Sheffield's Wolverhampton course. And now I'm doing all the all the political and all the economic stuff behind the actual military history on the battlefield stuff. So um, just getting more and more into it by the day. So talking of battlefield, what is your new book about? <laughs> well, it's yet another, dare I say, um, guidebook to Eep and the Somme. Um, so it takes you through what you'd get if you were... If you went on your, if you paid and spent the money and went on your own guided tour of Ypres and the Somme, this this gives you that sort of level of experience uh, with a little bit of sort of what you might do on your way home towards the ferry with Vimy, Arras, or Notre Dame de Lorette um, thrown in at the end. So why do you think? I mean, you've touched on this already. So why do you think a new guide is re- is required for the battlefield? Well, I'm, I'm certainly not seeking to replace the likes of you know the the Holt books and you know the things that are really well established but I think there is a newer generation of people who've who are coming across the first world war maybe through family history or maybe they're younger people who don't have the background knowledge the sort of of military terminology that sort of thing that perhaps previous generations sort of automatically had Um, and as a teacher I I think I have a a sort of finger on the pulse of where sort of the, the, the layman is on this sort of thing and I think there's a place for a book to be Slightly less nerdy, slightly less itinerary based, um, because I don't know about you, but I've never actually followed, you know, step by step any of the Holtz's itineraries, which is what their books are all focused around. Um, so although I do have a recommended itinerary, the book is actually set in sections of um, cemeteries, memorials, um, sort of um, what else is there, um, museums. Then there's a section called trenches, bunkers and craters. Um, where you can actually get, yeah, you know, see the real stuff that's still there. Um, but it, but fundamentally, my books focus on human stories. So once you get to a location, what are the human stories that connect you to it? Because I think it could be a great shame. And I, you see this when you go yourselves. You see people jumping out of cars, having a little bit of a look around the boards, if there are any boards, um, and then almost getting straight in their car and off to the next place. And you just think, hang on, you know, what happened at this place? Don't just go and look at a memorial. What is the human story behind the memorial and what's going on or the cemetery? So my book's got, it's got stuff like um, 
maps and plans of the cemeteries and where to find specific graves, talk about specific people. So if, if you know that, you know, often in the register, there's a, there's a green folder in the cemetery that tells you the map and everything, but it doesn't tell you um, any, single, any human stories about the people there. So, you know, and sometimes those green booklets aren't there. So my book will take you through where to go and see and what, who, whom to visit in a cemetery, or it'll tell you about what actually happened to individuals at various points around the battlefield. Um, and I think, I think that's a bit different. When you go to the Western Front, I mean, with, with your guide in mind, what do people want to know? Because it's quite a different one. Because I'm thinking about, you know, friends I've gone with, and I'm, a, I'm an anorak, and I've got so many anoraks, it's embarrassing. And, and I know a lot, but they don't. And, you know, and it's just thinking about, well, what do they want to know about? And, you know, I suppose yes. in your experience as a teacher, you know, kids who, who our generation don't know much about the First World War, and why should they? Because it's a long time ago. But what do you find that they're most they're questions they have that they need answers to? Well, I think I think there's sort of two parts to that answer. Firstly, I think you have to design the trip, the tour around a storyline as such, because you've got to you can't just rock up at random sites and go this happened here without connecting them together. And I've done the, the sites in various different orders, the main, the famous sites in various different orders. And what you find is students react and young people and even adults and adult tours as well, they react in different ways. Um, at, if you visit them in different orders at different times, it's, it's, it's remarkable, actually. And so you've got to think carefully about the order that you approach it. So, for example, you might start at somewhere like Loch Nagar Crater on the Somme, because it's a great, great spot to see the open landscape of where, you know, at seven, you know, as the whistles went, seven in the morning, they came across that landscape. That's a great spot to see that and to think about it. And you tie that into the mine. Um, but and then, you know, um, you might end up somewhere such as um, um, some one of the small cemeteries. And then you have you can almost close the day with some sort of cemetery story and and a sort of all your most of your mini own remembrance um, ceremony. Um, so there's there's that side of it. But also, how do you tell the story of the First World War through your trip? So that that's the other dimension. So you need to you need to you need to remember that this is a, a, a war four years. There's other things going on around the Western Front. So I, you know, I start talking in the UK. Um, you start talking about, you know, if I'm taking my own school from devices, I'm talking about John McRae, who was billeted in the town before he went across in the Bear Hotel. We'll probably pass the Bear Hotel as we go. Um, I talk about, you know, being away from home, sometimes for the first time, volunteers, you can talk all about that on your way um, to, to going out there. Um, and I often have young people who've never been abroad as well. And so you can talk, bring that into the human story of the soldiers. Um, yeah, and you, and you build it up around that. So it is difficult. Um, and also try, try not to focus too much on 1916 when you're on the song, but also bring in 1918. And I think one of the pieces of feedback I have had on the book is why don't you talk more about 1918? And I think that's a fair point actually. Maybe I should talk more about 1918 on the song, um, and maybe I will in the next edition or whatever. Um, but but it, the book is meant to be simple. It's meant to be basic. It's meant to be straightforward. And what I've really been surprised about, actually, in relation to the book, is how many people have just sat down and read it without going. <laughs> you know, I thought people would just put it on a shelf and then take it when they do go. But people have read it, and and because of the human story content, it's a good read. Just sat there, you know, sit there on your own and read it. Um, it's it, it works like that. Um, so yeah, I've gone off on your original question, but um, 
But yeah, you've got to think about these things. You can't just rock up at random sites. Otherwise, there's no context to the journey and the, and the, and the whole visit. Which neat, brings me neatly onto my uh, other question is, obviously, you've got the issue of people who don't know very much. But then when they what they do know is obviously Blackadder and Butchers and Bungers <laughs> and, and Poets. And yeah. how does your guide try and tell a more nuanced and complex story of the, the Great War? And it's not this Baldrick and uh, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. And um, I, when I start talking about the Somme, I sort of talk about the first section on the Somme is the story. And, and, I, and I talk about the fact that you know, they're, they're ordered to walk out in the lines um, across no man's land. But then when you start reading about the sites, I start to unpick that and go, well, you know what? Here they didn't. They actually advanced in file. Here they didn't. They actually got out 10 minutes before led in no man's land. And so you, you can start to debunk those myths in that way. Uh, the book doesn't talk a lot about the generals. It's again, it's it's too based on human stories and 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 the stuff to get into that side of things. Um, but for sure, myth, myths about um, men slowly walking in lines at all points on the Somme battlefield. Yeah, yeah, definitely deal with that because it needs to be dealt with. Um, is there a place for blackadder? Is another good question. I think there is a place for blackadder. I think it engages young people. It makes them laugh, not as much as it used to, but it still makes them laugh and it gets them interested in the First World War. And then you can educate them and take it from there. But it's, it's often a good way in, um, you know, and, and, and it's amazing that the, obviously they, they, those guys knew quite a lot about the war and so much of the stuff which is exaggerated and, you know, even slightly untrue has some glimpse of where's it come from. And then you can talk about that is fascinating so what three sites do you think people should um visit i've put them down as your favorite sites but, but there might be so many we could be here all evening absolutely and i'm i've gone slightly off tangent and i'm very into places like um the gallipoli i went just a couple of years ago and you know going down to somewhere hell down ever done and places like that but you know sticking to the song and eat you know where where you know where are my favorite sites ah i can't i can't help but be drawn to the devonshire's cemetery uh, just south of Albert because this, it's such a great, great story and, and it's small and it's, if you have it to yourself, the atmosphere, um, you know, the sign as you go in that they hold it, they hold the trench and they hold it still. Um, places like Mal the Mal Malin's film, connecting people on the battlefield through the Malin's film. So going to Minden Post and actually having it on, on a, an iPad or something like that, some of the clips of the film um, or going or Railway Wood um, up, at, up near Epe. And going and seeing all the craters in the wood just up there, and walking up from Huga up up towards it, and, and places like that, just slightly off the beaten track that one, but but well worth the visit. And you get so much. You can talk about um, Shabas at the Double VC winner because you can see the culvert from up there. You can talk about tunneling um, with where Boothby's um, supposedly still maybe down in his tunnel, um, as well as obviously the memorials that are up there. It's just and the number of craters in the wood is just incredible and it's been well cleared recently so you can actually go around and try and count them and um, that's what i get the students to do um which is which is a great thing obviously you've got a new guide does your guide actually cover new sites that have opened say in the last five years that obviously aren't covered by things like the old holtz guide which may be 10 15 years old in certainly in, certainly in my library it's it's that old yeah but they've had they've had new editions they had a centenary edition that came out I mean, they're pretty good, and they and there's there are newer books that have got you know even more depth into places like the Somme. Um, so, is there new stuff in there? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure whether the Holtz advise you to go through the tunnel at Minden. Um, I'll take you there. I'm not sure, but um, 
I like to I like to go there and get people to go through it. The the, pra- the practical nature. Um, I sent my brother through when I went there recently. Um, you know, said you know, go through the tunnel, experience what the soldiers experienced, um, connect people either through human stories or through the physical landscape. It just brings it that much more. It engages people that much more. There's no there's no mention of divisions or armies or anything like that in my book because it's not aimed at that the people who think like that. It's aimed at people who who are starting with zero. Um, so it has like um, quick facts at the top of each section. So if you went to Thiepval, top, you know, quick facts, you know, the number of people on there when it was built, that sort of thing, you know, some really you know, five bullet points. And then you'll get the normal sort of text. Um, but then you'll also get um, advice about this the thing. I think this is, um, you know, if you wanted to know about how, what, again, what's different about my book, when when I take people to Thiepval in my book, I tell them to, okay, do all the monument stuff, the normal stuff, but then go out the, go out the other side, go through the cemetery to um, the, the German Württemberg trenches that were cleared for the centenary. Um, and you can stand in the trenches and you can see the landscape that the Northumberland Fusiliers would have come across on the first, actually, I don't think it was the first July, but they, they came across that landscape right in front of you. Um, and people wouldn't necessarily go down there. They wouldn't see that. And I think that connects the human story again to not just a giant memorial that's a bit too big and you, you can't really engage with it. Um, and that connects you in. And I think that's important. And are there sites that you think people should visit, but often, very, very rarely, do they go there? I think I think there are a band of people who are real experts on places like Ethan the Somme. Um, the, you know, the person on the bus tour, there's certainly lots of places that I would recommend they try and steer themselves to. Um, maybe Polygon Wood is a good one. You can, you know, get off, you can get off at, um, at the corner, um, Backwatch Corner, and you can walk straight through the wood um, up to the butts at the end and that that's a great that's a great little walk there's so much to see in the wood um, with bunkers um, and trench lines and then you get the cemetery at the end and I've never met another group out there doing that before um, and you know they've got the story of the Australians later on in the war so that that's that's a great site which is a famous site but I, I don't think it's that well visited um, and maybe maybe you know people who go to the um the dragon at Mamets, how many of them go on down to Flatiron Cops, where there's some people do go there because you've got the famous three pairs of brothers buried in, in that cemetery, Flatiron Cops. But there's actually, you could actually talk about five pairs of brothers because there's another pair of brothers that's actually got one of the brothers in there and the other one um, is buried at, um, where is he? He's up, he's up the road anyway in another cemetery. He's killed like three days later. And then you've got... A pair of brothers who are in the same unit, the Cardiff Powells of the Trugaskis brothers, um, but they're missing in action. Um, so they're, they're missing. Um, so it's not you can actually you can go through with the group. You can talk about the, the famous pairs of the, the brothers and then you can say, well, hang on a second. There's also the ones that are missing. And then you can start, start to talk about that bigger picture as well. Um, so that's another good place. And if you walk down, if you park up at the Dragon and you walk down, it's kind of nice because you sort of get a sense of the battlefield a bit more when you walk it. So, Tom, is there another dragon on the Western Front? Yeah, if you after visiting Mamets and seeing the dragon with his barbed wire, you can you can see the one outside of Eat on the um, Langemark um, Pilkin Road. Um, it's a bit of a memorial garden there. Um, he's not quite as impressive, especially the sort of situ of him as the one down at Mamets, where you know on a on a lovely blue sky day you've got the dragon up there with his piece of barbed wire which is just amazing um but yes it's not far from harry patch so if you're if you're interested in harry patch's story it's not far from the memorial that was to harry patch um but yeah two two dragons 
but it's like it's like talking about caribou um, from um, Newfoundland Park as well. There's multiple caribous you can go and visit across the Western Front as well. And people often just go and see the one at Newfoundland. Um, now, that's interesting. Now, just for our listeners who don't know what the significance of the caribou is, could you explain? Okay. okay. So the caribou is is the na- is one of the national symbols of Newfoundland, which is part of modern day Canada. But of course, during the First World War, it was just a bit of Britain. And I think it is a little bit of the British Empire, I should say, rather than Britain. Um, but it's a bit of a shame that the site feels very Canadian, and yet it is very much a Newfoundland and actually a British story. And maybe the British story is underrepresented when you go there. Um, but but yeah, you can go up. You can go up to the Caribou Monument. It looks like a, um, an elk or something like that. Somebody didn't know, and it's on top of a mound. And you can from there you can see across a a complicated battlefield landscape that's been preserved where you can see 1918 trenches, some sort of some sort of remembrance of the 1916 1st of July trenches you can just about get a sense of. But it's a big old park and you can see right down to the German front lines. You can walk right across no man's land. Um, you can see various British cemeteries within the park. And then right at the back of the park, they've got Y Ravine, which is this um, sort of mis- mysterious German sort of um location on the Somme where they could they could hide in the in this gully um it's the shape of a y that and they could they were getting up to all sorts of mischief in there during the battle out of sight and um, they had tunnels coming from behind Beaucourt Ridge to bring up people behind us those who were successful on the first of July were finding themselves um being counterattacked sometimes from the rear by, by guys going through tunnels to come up behind them and stuff all sorts of mayhem on that piece of ground which is amazing but only a tiny part of the story is actually linked to Newfoundland who who had a um, pretty dreadful time of it, um, crossing um, no man's land there and um, getting devastated. And obviously, obviously that, part, that part is actually only captured in the latter part of 1916, you know, I think November's, you know, the, there's still units fighting for that bit of territory around Y Ravine up until quite late in the Battle of the Somme. Yeah, and, the, and the, you know, there's all sorts of stories about guys who did get in there. Maybe, maybe you know, how far do people actually get on the 1st of July trying to work out where the bodies have been found and, you know, looking at the Commonwealth War Graves Commission and looking where bodies are actually found, trying to trying to make sense of it. And of course, all the missing who who may have got further than they thought. And it's actually quite interesting how, how far you can't see um, from where the British commanders would have been and, you know, the, the, the colonels and the, the brigadiers who were in charge, you know, how far could they see and how good the communication back was and, the, the, you know, in the mayhem of that 1st of July day. Um, I think it's quite interesting. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, it's a difficult landscape. I think one thing that's always, you know, interested me, I don't know whether your guide does this, it's the sort of the, the idea that when you look at a cemetery and you're looking at Joe Bloggs, you, you realise Joe Bloggs actually fell in action two or three miles away and you're running, why is he in a cemetery here if he if he died, you know, two or three miles away? Does your guide give an explanation as to that? Yeah, I talk about, I talk about how, um, cemeteries were formed, the concept behind cemeteries um, and how things were concentrated. I talk about both the British and the German context for that because it's, it's, there's, it is quite different as well. Um, but there's, you know, these examples like um, the bulls up at Sheffield Park who put a cross on the site where they found his body. And I, I used to be a bit sceptical because it's almost on that trench, the, the, the original trench that's just inside the parkland and behind the fence they're protected. Um, and it's like there, and I thought, well, maybe it was found in the farmer's field and it's been moved. But when you get on the CWGC and you look at where the body was found, you can you can use the, the referencing, the grid referencing, you can spot, you can place it on your map and you can go, no, actually, you know what? He was actually found there. 
and he's buried down in Sayre Road, uh, the number two, I think it is, off the top of my head. Um, so I talk about that and explain again from from a personal story, which um, which is what I try and do with all of all of the bits in the book. So yes, and the other side that's often missing from this story is the German side. Do yeah. you cover that? I, I try to, and I, I think one of the questions you asked me earlier about places that people don't go and should go to, you know, get up on the Bokor Ridge and up on uh, up on Redan Ridge as well, and you know, think of yourself as a German, and you know, especially if you do it later on when people have been to all the other sites, because you can look back towards them having heard the stories, and then you can go, ah, now I can see why they could see and bring the artillery down. Now I can see why you know if there's a machine gun here, here, and here you know, the crossfire and they're in trouble and, and it really pulls it all together. So um, probably not enough, you know, the more the, the, the more academic books will cover more of the German stuff. Um, Jack Sheldon's book about the Germans, you know, he's done several books about the Germans in particular um, up there, Thiet Ball and so on. So um, it's, 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 it, that's a little bit too much, too nerdy for this book, but um, there is reference to it. And my final question is where can people get the book from? Right. Well, you can get it from, you know, Amazon, like everybody does these days, or you could get it from Saberstorm. They have, they're a military history publisher in local to me, which is why I've gone with them. I actually met Ian, um, the man, the, the man who is Saberstorm publishing at a parents evening uh, when I was talking about his daughter, but I wasn't obviously, I was talking about first of all, but I've meant to be talking about his daughter. Um, and he's a, he's a military historian focusing, um, was it a Boer War, First World War, Second World War. And he's based in Devizes down here in Wiltshire. And he publishes the book under the Saberstorm brand. So you can buy it straight from his website and know all the money's not going to Amazon. Um, so I would encourage you to do that. Tom, thank you very much for your time. No problem at all. Thank you for the opportunity. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Bothworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Bothworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time...